The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. Dear Father, I thank you that you've gathered this group together to hear about living with an angry husband. And we're glad that we have your word to guide us on how to help women with this problem. Some of us may be dealing with that in our own lives. And we just thank you for the sufficiency of scripture, which we rely on, Lord, to be able to counsel and advise those we care about. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to be quick to tell you I am not living with an angry (laughs) husband, (laughs) but I have counseled so many women who are living in an angry household that I felt like it was an important topic, and it's actually following along on what we heard from Chris Moles, those of you who came to the pre-conference. So as we think about angry husband, we all we have to do is read the newspaper. So I don't know if you remember a few months ago in Ohio, a man went in, killed two nursing home employees and the village police chief. And the wife, this woman, had made a complaint against him. She said, I am afraid to be alone with him, that he will hurt me for good, she wrote in her petition. And they reported that the protection order was still in effect when he killed her. Records show that she had reported injuries, including a concussion and cuts requiring stitches. The, this man, she told police, had once showed her a hole he had dug and said he would put her in it if she didn't stay with him. And the man who, the policeman who was killed had been with the department for only about three weeks, was the father of six children and a seventh was on the way. This was... This made national news, this story. But all you have to do, I, in about a week, I clipped out many articles. One is $1 million bond for a dad after his infant son was critically injured. We have a South Charlotte woman dies of burns, husband charged with murder. Charlotte woman's boyfriend faces murder charge after her son dies. And Bobby Brown, even, celebrity. He said that, let's see, he'd been held on charges of battery and false imprisonment. He and his girlfriend, he he was charged with hitting and punching her in the face and the back of the head with a closed fist. Um, This guy denied hitting her. He told police he was the one being abused. This is in a week, and this is like all colors of people, every economic, socioeconomic group, okay? So these men, we might say, could appear very confident people. They seem, they're in control. They're type A driven guys. But we, when we look at a man who's got what Chris Moles called coercive control, These husbands might have a biting sarcasm in the way they speak to their wives or girlfriends. Some husbands withdraw and will not speak to their wives, the cold shoulder. Husband might punish his wife. 
by not letting her have any friends or go to church or have money. Some are violent by harming the wife. Maybe they have an unpredictable temper, threatening to hurt or kill her or her children. They may threaten suicide. If you don't do what I want, I'm going to just kill myself. They may be destroying their property in the house or otherwise, take her, destroying her belongings, threatening to hurt or kill a pet, sexual demands unreasonably, and intimidation like Chris Moles talks about displaying weapons. And how about just reckless driving? These women as passengers just being crazy and angry drivers. Now, you think about verbal abuse and physical abuse. The verbal is a lot more common, obviously, but one person I read said you can't have the physical abuse without the verbal beforehand. It's like a build, it builds up, gets worse and worse. And it's so common, as I've told you, I've run into people with these problems. And this man is using anger to control others. Sometimes he's trying to get his wife to beg for forgiveness. Uh, other times he's trying to control her through fear. And if you hear a wife come in and speak to you about a controlling husband, you should be asking her about anger in the home. Okay, so controlling through anger. I want, you, I want us all to become aware of this need. He may be a person who's angry at work and just flares up and then it come, he comes home and brings it into the family. I've recently been counseling a woman married to a pastor who has talked about work anger. He's been, in nine years, he's been in five churches because just having trouble getting along with people and he's doing the same thing at the house. That's why she came in. She came in because her son was starting to have issues and then all you have to do is explore and this is what was happening. The father's exploding in anger. Now if we look at a study, the US government decided to do a study. 2010, they talked, did a study on intimate partner violence and it says they indicate that over 10 million women and men in the United States experience physical violence every year by a current or former intimate partner. Further, only over one in five women, or nearly one in seven men have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner at some point in their lifetime. That means, if you take the numbers, 29 million US women and nearly 16 million US men. And women and children. So I'm just gonna focus on a wife living with a man, but we also have children affected, okay? And law to, the law enforcement, as I told you about that article. So the law enforcement memorial fund decided to do their own study of policemen getting killed in the line of duty. So it's a five-year study and it had 684 cases. These, this analysis focused on cases that involved a dispatch call for service which required police response. And the information, what information was made available in the deadliest calls for service, and what do you think? Yeah, most reveal 
These calls related to domestic disputes and domestic related incidents represented the highest number of fatal types of calls for service and were also the underlying cause of law enforcement fatalities for several other calls for service. The most dangerous situation, all you have to do is ask a policeman. He'll tell you that's the most scary call he can come to. So the church, I just want to tell all of us that the church has the responsibility to protect women. And as we look at Hebrews 13, Three. We'll start there, but there are many passages. This one says, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And let's not fool ourselves into thinking it's not in our church. Okay? We need to realize this is happening with our sisters. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 also calls us to open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And we used to take mission trips down to Rosarito, where we stayed in a lovely facility, big house, many bedrooms, community bathrooms, beds and bunk beds, it was sitting empty because it was built for battered women to come to live with their children, right? By the church. The church built that. They can't use it because the men found out where it was. These husbands knew where that place was and those women were no longer safe in that building. So now it's used for Americans come down and doing conferences and <laughs> missions work. And that's an example of the church trying to do the right thing, right? So we commend them for building this gorgeous place, um, but we're sympathetic that their answer was not really what helped. So I uh, also, in my past life, took piano lessons. So I'm going to my piano teacher, and you know how you wear shorts in the summertime? And... Me, sometimes I just crash around and knock myself and get bruises, right? But the piano teacher looks at me and she goes, where did those bruises come from? And it was truly, I had just been clumsy, right? But she said, I have seen women come in with bruises and I just had to ask. Now this is not a Christian lady. This is not a church person. But as I was chatting with some ladies about this topic beforehand, I said, I heard them tell me, and I said to them also, that we need to be kind of able to ask those questions. And it, okay, there are clumsy ones among us who are like <laughs> easily bruised as well. But I mean, like she told us, one of these ladies told a story. She thought she had seen like hand, like hand marks on somebody's arm. And it was, she was like, no, no, it's not really it. But why don't we pull our friends aside just privately and say, I really care about you. Can you, I care about you and your safety. Could you explain these bruises? She might not be able to tell you about it, but she'll know if you care. She'll know that you care when you ask that question. So I'm just, um, I hate to talk about that. You'd like to think of the church as a safe and place, but let's um, also be conscious. 
Now, as we think about marriage, we've got all this like beautiful picture in the Bible. We have a story that God designed marriage. It was to be for a man and a woman to live in harmony with one another, as we see in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's so important. In Matthew, we've got the same passage that Jesus said. And, and when you go to marriage ceremonies, the wedding, you know, you talk about 1 Corinthians 13 and what love is. And we start out, these women start out marriages like that, right? You think, oh, you know, this is, this is what God wants. And a lot of women have married men expecting a Christian husband will cherish them and treat them well. We know that in marriage we have mutual respect for one another. And we have a picture of Christ in the church. I mean, isn't that, that's the most beautiful thing. And so if you begin to talk to a woman living with an angry husband, she's telling you probably about her pain and disappointment of just how marriage turned out for her. And some women marry men who are deceivers. Maybe they were controlling and she might have lived in a household that was kind of with a controlling dad, so she didn't see any of the danger signs, but um, has ended up with just a very difficult family situation. So as we look at the roles in marriage, we know that Adam was called to work, keep the garden. He was the representative head of the family, and he was asked, to, he was told, commanded to love his wife, Ephesians 5. And Eve has a role as the helper, somebody suitable for her husband. The um, different translations use fit for her husband or meet, like a help meet. That's where that came from. Someone's able to help, someone corresponding to him. And that's why this sin is so ugly, I think such a destruction of the beautiful picture God made of Christ in the church and the love and honor that should be within a marriage. So as we look at anger, Chris Moles used this term, resistive violence. And he's talking about the wife who is resisting, but in an angry way. Okay, now we've got I'm sorry, but I have to talk about the wife's role in this, okay? And you've probably seen or heard of marriages where you've got this screaming match going on, right? So living with an angry husband, you've got to look at, as we're talking to the wives, you've got to begin with her. She's, in, she's the one in your office, right? So... If you, the list of the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5 is interesting. And if you've ever done a study, have a look at how many of the deeds of the flesh are anger words. Okay? I picked out uh, enmity, strife, fits of anger, dissensions. James 1.20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So as we think about angry household, we think about the wife's anger, she may have just begun to learn his ways. 
Okay? So he's screaming at her, and she's going to give it right back. Actually, we see in Proverbs 22, make, <laughs> 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, no go, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. And this may be the woman who's like shocked at herself that she would end up with this rage as a response to him. Okay? And they didn't go down the aisle like that. They didn't start marriage like that, but it's become worse and worse. And we know it takes two to have a fight. Okay. We're not giving any excuses to the guys here. I'm just talking to the ladies. But what we're doing is we need to be careful with, in remember Galatians 5.15, but if you divide, De, sorry, if you bite and devour one another, watch out. You're not consumed by one another. So what a picture that is. So we have the woman who's like this screaming lady, but we also can have the woman filled with bitterness and hopelessness. And after a while, I mean, why do marriages break up after 20 some odd years? A lot of them is that she has had it. You know, she's done. She's no more of this. She's, she's turning to what she thinks is her answer, is just to escape and get out of the marriage. And with justification, perhaps, is how she feels about it. Now, if we think about that side of the marriage, we've got the wife's anger, but then there's the husband's anger. How sad is that? And sometimes when I've sat with these women, I've said... Let's just see what the Bible says about a person who's angry like this. And I um, could read to them Proverbs 29, 9. And this would say, If a wise man has an argument with a fool... The fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. And you read that verse to a woman in this situation, she'll just, she just stops and she goes, yeah, that's my life. Another one of my favorites is Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9, the definition of a fool. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. If you read a passage like this, to a woman who's living, who comes in and tells you about a husband who's angry, and you explain what God thinks of it, how God describes it, sometimes it just, it opens the world up for her. Instead of saying, this is the way life is, this is just my situation, now we're, now we're looking at it through God's eyes. And he's saying, if you've got a raging crazy, screaming man who punches holes in the wall and you try to talk to him about it, it's 
Yeah, it's right there. You're, go you're not going to get very far with a fool. And you'd be surprised at how comforting that is to just get God's label on it. And one woman said that to her, her life was, she just was so into that atmosphere that she just got used to it, kind of. It just got, it became easy to her to just kind of live with that, and it kept getting worse and worse, and she didn't really see it because she didn't have this label. This is a fool's behavior. So how do we help these women react? And I want to just tell you, okay, before we go into that, we've got to talk about the continuum. Now, you may have an idea what I'm describing. And it may be this man who's like throwing punches into the wall or kicking things or like the crazy driving that makes her afraid to get in the car with him. But we also have these men who are just like the... Um, the ones who have the cold shoulder, the ones who are restrained and kind of um, controlling her money and controlling her friends, controlling which church they attend. Okay, so we've got a wide variety. So try to keep that in mind as we talk about how we are going to live with this. And the first thing I've got to tell you is that she cannot participate in his sin. If you describe this as a fool, then you're going to have to say, I do not want to be a fool. I want to be one of the wise. I'm not blaming the wife, but we've got to have a look at her sin first. And these ladies have probably already memorized, and if they haven't, then you tell them. <laughs> Memorize Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Some of you know it already. So this is the idea that we can avoid the screaming match if we avoid the screaming ourselves. Okay? It's God's word, and it's beautiful. In the same chapter, verse 18, the evil... Wait, is that right? Yeah, the simple... Sorry, 15, Proverbs 15, wrong chapter. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Oh, you've had a hard day. I'm so sorry. I understand. It's, okay, we're using our, don't you do this with your kids? Don't you do that with your toddlers? Okay, okay that's kind of like toddler behavior, isn't it? Screaming and... Having fits? Okay, it's okay. You know, oh, I'll fix something for you to eat. I'll get your dinner. You know, I'll care. I care about you. Tell, tell me how. So you're using this quiet voice. You're being very soothing. Now, don't think this is going to solve this man who's got the gun over here. I'm talking about just every every day, run of the mill. We've got an angry, like aggravated husband, and. We're remembering Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to a spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And these verses are going to help the wives to remember, this is how God wants me to respond to a fool. 
in control. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Proverbs 17, 14. We're not, okay, quarreling, nagging, just that, you know from personal experience, this just makes the matter worse. So, the wife is going to control herself, and she could have the idea that I'm going to cover this sin. I'm going to let love cover a multitude of sins, okay? We, she could say to herself, it is a glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.11 says love covers a multitude of sins. And this passage about it is a glory to overlook an offense, right before that it says good sense makes one slow to anger, dot, dot, dot. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's related to anger, that passage. So she's looking to herself. She's saying, I've got to be having a heart of forgiveness, a heart of compassion, caring. Need to forgive others their debts against me, right? Because Jesus says that in the Lord's Prayer. Positively, she could have in her mind she's going to do good for her husband. And we have Romans 12 as the passage you would use to help this lady. It's your go-to verses 12, 17 through 21. And at the end, in verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You're going to put off the old self. Maybe that was your screaming self. And now put on the righteousness of Christ. Okay? This is, a mind, this is where you're going to help the wife to begin with. Just keep the, keep the words God-honoring. Keep it God-glorifying. And our verses like that would be, for that, would, like Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This one woman I talked to said she, she had a lot of ironing to do, okay? He was a professional guy. When, he, when she's ironing his shirt, she's praying for him. She knows he's angry. She knows he's got issues at work he's carrying home, okay? Lots of prayer. She's, she spent time. This is my time to pray for him. I thought that was beautiful. She needs to deal with her own sinful anger, as we know. Matthew 7, do you all know that? Matthew 7, we love that. The log, the great big log you've got in your eye. You can't take out his sin. You can't deal with his sin if you've got this giant thing in your eye and you can't see it because you're, you're full of the anger yourself. So Lord tells us to go and deal with our own sin. And, but if we, don't, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, right? Because we all know there can be provoking, there can be provoking behavior without the screaming. We all know that. Let's admit it. <laughs> yes. But Lord says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 8 through 9. And just a tip in counseling, I sit these women down and I say, let's confess this right now. So, no, 
no let's go home and do it when you get in your bed at night. It's like, I, I will pray with you right now and will confess. When she recognizes her sin, let's, let's make it clear before the Lord before we deal with the next problems. So the next thing we're asking her to do is to help her husband. That's why I read to you those passages about wives being a help. And now her perspective is, I want to help my husband with his anger. And one woman, another lady said, I wish I had gone for help way early in our marriage. I wish I had said something. I wish I had taken deliberate action early before it got to such a bad state. And if you think, this is a loving thing to do. Right? Galatians 6.1. We're having a gentle attitude as we go to our brother. Because that's also what we need to do as in Matthew 18. You go to him. And with a gentle attitude, and those of us who are having a spiritual perspective based on all these fruits of the Spirit, you go and say, Honey, I've noticed things have been tense lately, whatever word you want to use. I want to help you. What can I do to help? And a lot of husbands will respond right away to that. And that is great. Then your counseling is finished. (laughs) Ah, That was good. And you've got believing men who will really appreciate a wife coming along and helping. Okay, because do you think it's a happy situation he's in when he's full of rage and like out of control, um, slamming things around, breaking things? He is not at peace with himself or his spirit. And he's, as a Christian, he's not at peace with God. So this is a way a wife can step in and help. Not quarrelsome, not nagging, but patiently enduring. Now, um, in the past, interesting passage where we read that someone should be wise among, among us to handle disputes among believers, right? You know that section? It's like, there should be people in this congregation that could help in disputes. And as I um, spoke to Martha Peace about this topic, I told, I spoke to her about The Excellent Wife. We've read it, right? The Excellent Wife. She said the reason she wrote that book was to get chapter 14 out there. Chapter 14 is what to do with an unruly husband, how to confront a husband. She says, that was the whole purpose of my book, really. I said, you know, I would really like it if you put chapter 14 in a pamphlet that we can pass out to ladies to how to confront a husband. So that hasn't happened yet. But here's what she said. How to get help. For one thing, the counsel you get should be objective. Now, that doesn't mean you go and tell your mom and then your sister about what a jerk you're married to. That would not be objective counsel, right? Okay, so you're looking for objective counselors. And that should, counselor should be, she should have in mind or he should be directed, that counseling should be directed at solving the problem biblically using the word of God. 
That doesn't mean we're going to spend, well, we could spend time exploring why is he angry, okay? But we're using the scripture. We're not just delving all into the past and all this other stuff. We want to make progress using the word of God. The council should be directed toward restoration, not let's get on his case because he's a bad person. The, and as wives, when they speak about their husbands, they should not be slandering or speaking evil about them when she's seeking counsel. And we all know that difference too. We sat down with women, it's like, rah, 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 rah. He's a rah. and then she's just railing on this guy. But instead, you've seen women who come and say, things are really difficult. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I don't want this. I don't want my children to see this. Tell me what I should do. There's a big difference with that. So this should be the attitude with these women. Uh, she should limit the number of people she tells. And that doesn't mean standing up at the women's prayer meeting and saying, would you please pray for my husband? Isn't such sin? But you would go and you'd speak to wise people and those who can help. And if you remember, I did a talk on gossip. And the, the way you decide what is gossip and what is not is you're telling a person who needs to know who is in a position to help. Okay. And a lot of women won't even come and talk to about this angry husband because they're worried about gossip. But if you're telling a person who needs to know, such as a church leader or someone wise in your church who can help, and that person is in a position to give you wise counsel, then you're not gossiping. That's also why we limit, okay? You see that. And they sh you know, the wife should follow a biblical admonition that older, more mature people, women are to teach younger women. So that's why we're here, right? We're here because we need to be equipped to help younger women in an angry household. And that's what God has called us to do. And sometimes we are the ones they will speak to. They might not want to come and tell Pastor Bob, okay? Or they might want to tell uh, Sam over here, who's my husband's best friend, who's going to take sides perhaps. They might confide in you. Say, what do I do? So we want, we want to be those older, wiser women. And Martha Peace also says, the leaders of the church may be the best source of biblical counsel. So as we look at the role of the church, I want to read to you Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. And I read this to the pastor's wife, whose husband was slamming the kids against the wall. And I said, you're not making progress here. You're dealing with a fool, and whatever you're doing, you're just doing it over and over again. And that helped her realize that she needed to get outside help. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. We don't want these men to be prospering in this violent behavior. 
but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So the Matthew 18 process, for those of you who don't know, would be to begin to confront with one person. The person who's been sinned against will confront that person. Then the next step, Proverbs 18, 16, is to take one or two others along. Now here's what happened in one of our situations. Very naturally, okay? Spending time with a couple, you hear them interacting with each other, you hear him knocking her down, criticizing. And you're thinking, okay, one thing you may think is, I don't want to spend time with this couple anymore. <laughs> it's like, ah, I hate to see that. But the other option could be, what happened in our situation is, my husband went and talked to that husband directly. Said, you probably don't realize it, but you are really criticizing your wife. The way you talk to her, and it's pretty constant. It's something for you to notice and be aware of and actually confess to the Lord. And that was really helpful. Because it wasn't even in a counseling room. It was just somebody caring. It's doing the one anothering, right? And don't these wives wish somebody would say that to their husbands without her having to report him? So we should be aware of that. We should try to encourage one anothering in that way. And then you tell it to the church. If we're having continuous issues, that's when you bring in your church leaders. These are the shepherds. These are the people who care for you. And they, as I've already read to you, they have the responsibility to care for the sheep. And that they won't know. <coughs> They're not going to necessarily know what's going on in the household unless somebody tells. Okay? Uh, let's see. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you were doing. That's the purpose for confronting and, and speaking to someone. There is a role for the government. Chris Moles told us he loves Romans 13. Yes. The government is established, it says, by God to punish evildoers, carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It's God's instrument of protection. And you may have a reluctant wife, but if you tell her, God calls you to obey the commandment, do not murder. So if you're dealing with murderous type of rage in your household, you need to obey that commandment. Help your husband by telling someone so that that commandment is obeyed. Okay? You're not condoning murderous rage, which... Jesus tells us anger is like murder. And the government is called in in cases when lives are threatened and in cases when, hey, the guy doesn't care one bit about what your church leaders think. And that's always, that's often the case too, isn't it? So, now, as we think about this poor lady... Put yourself, put yourself in her position thinking, what would it take for her to tell someone about out-of-control anger? This is going to be a very difficult situation, assuming she's not the one who likes to rag on him and tell everybody how bad he is. 
Okay, she's in a very, very difficult place. She might not even know how to handle it. And I've talked to ladies like this. It's like, I didn't even know what to do. I just thought it was going to be like this. My parents were like that. I thought this was going to be my life. You know what happens, though? They come in when their kids are threatened. They come in when they feel maybe not necessarily danger to themselves, but they're going to protect their kids. Praise God for that heart. So some of these ladies just have adopted the idea that they are called to suffer in this life. I'm a martyr. I am, I'm just going to stay married no matter what. Now, is this the lady whose idea, who's going to try to help her husband? Is she trying to help her husband if she's doing that? No. She, she may, okay, we talked about a theology of suffering earlier today. She may have a, we need to know, teach her, she may have a real need for an idea of suffering, but the martyr, the martyr thing, not acceptable to God. Not if we love our brothers. So she might need to be talked out of that attitude. She might think this is my lot in life. But to be a help, she's got to report. She's got to tell someone. We have to also deal with the major problem of a misunderstanding of submission. This is because a lot of men will use the submission verses to say, you need to do what I say. You need to follow me. I'm the head of the household. And if I say I don't like the way you're dressing, then you've got to change the way you dress. Now, I'm talking about controlling, like out of control attitude he has. Or you can't be with those people anymore. We can't go to that church because I'm the head of the household, and I tell you, I don't like those people. I don't like those men. I don't like that kind of leadership over there. So we're leaving. That's misunderstanding of submission to think that she's got to follow him into sin. And it's probably what she's been told, but we need to do some biblical study on submission before we can even get past this point. She might, again, like I said, be thinking it's gossip to tell someone. She might think, if I tell, is that taking revenge? Am I taking revenge if I explain that he he twists my arm when he gets mad? He um, he kind of pushes me up against the bed, throws me down. Am, am I taking revenge if I tell somebody that? See, this, women who've been in this mindset have probably, well, they've been told, they've been told by their husband often that it's, that they are unsubmissive if they tell anybody or if they have reported, it's their private secret. It's, he, they can't tell. And so she's been dealing with that all this time. There needs to be a balanced approach to the word of God. I must obey God rather than men. And this we bring in when we're talking about going to church, right? If he tells her not to go to church at all, 
because he wants her in the household, he wants her to be completely controlled, then again, we're using Acts 5.29, you must obey God rather than men. And she may have told, been told that submission is pleasing him in every way. So if you're submissive to me, you've got to do everything I tell you to do. And God is happy with that. But if you put yourself in her, your, put yourself in her place and think about the fear that she's living with. If a man is screaming and yelling, throwing things, if he's belittling her and calling her names, she's living in a state of fear. I mean, those are the ladies who end up at the doctor's office saying, I've got an ulcer, I've got, I've got digestive problems. We need to be exploring these things when we hear our friends talking, okay? Ask the hard questions. Fear causes irrational behavior. Haven't we all been crazy fearful before? Like, right? You get crazy fearful and you don't think straight? You think, all I have to do is keep them happy. I just need to get everything calmed down. It's gonna be okay. So fear can lead to sin because you're not trusting God. There um, could be a loss of self-control because you're fearful. It could be easy to think things through into the worst case scenario. If I don't do this, he's gonna leave us and we'll be poor and we'll be unable to send the kids to school, to the private school they've been a part of and my life's gonna be falling apart. I'd, just, I'd rather just kinda keep it quiet and appease him. She may be really afraid of what will happen to her if she tells. Think of that. Think of a wife who's living in fear of, his, of a man's anger and if it gets out that she told someone, it's gonna come back on her. And I've had more than one woman, woman tell me that. I can't go home after I've said what's happened. He is gonna take it out on me. Well, you can understand that. So here's again where the church steps up and the church says, I will go with you. I will bring a man with you. And Chris Moles describes in his book how a man could come with a woman and help her confront a husband. Or you could stay at my house. You should stay with us until this is sorted out. Bring the kids, you know? And that's again where you're gonna put her in a place where he cannot find her. Because what happened, what happens is what happened in my family, my grandmother's mother was killed by an enraged husband who had come in and they put the little two little girls were hiding behind the couch and he went and he killed his wife and he killed my grandmother's mother. So he knew where to find his wife. This, they were just neighbors, I think. But this is a place, we need to find safe places for these ladies. If she's gonna try to approach the real issue, the real sin that's going on, she needs to be protected by us in the church, okay? And that's, that's radical. That is not, we go to church on Sunday and be real nice to each other. It is, I am really in life with you because I care for you and I'm gonna do what it takes. And she can go to a church member's house and he doesn't know 
which house she's in. So let's do that. Let's take the idea that we're going to practice radical hospitality. These uh, men could divert their anger onto someone else because he feels his headship is threatened, which is the biggest thing important to him. Most important thing that he wants to protect, his pride, and he's full of fears. We've heard from Chris Moles, person who has to control everything because he's afraid something bad's going to happen. I'm afraid she's having an affair. So I'm going to track her phone. And I'm going to follow her when she goes to work to make sure she's there. And I'm going to put a tracking device on her car. True story. Sat with these women. It's terrible. OK. Yeah. She may be afraid that people might not believe what she tells them. What? Deacon Jones? I mean, he's so nice at church. He's always smiling. He's well-dressed. He's a professional. Or whatever thing it is, his image is pure at church. This is what hypocrisy is, girls. Okay? One image here at home. He's a maniac. Okay? So if she tries to tell what's happening at home, she's... I could tell you stories how many women have come up to church leaders and said, I'm desperate. This is out of control. And they say they don't believe her. And then where is she? More than likely, if they're buds, the husband's going to hear about it. And then, then we get in these like really dangerous situations, potentially. The abuser is often a manipulator. So he's going to control the situation. He's going to control the counseling. And maybe some of us have sat in counseling cases with the husband who controls the counselor, if he can. And he will take charge of that meeting, and he will turn the sin onto her. And she's sitting quietly. She may be crying, but she cannot speak up. And really, I agree with Chris Moles that a, a woman should be in that session. A, a woman should just be sitting there. Somebody who can sit with her and have compassion and really help this male counselor to read the situation. Because we got some instincts, and we can see it often. The um, church, she might be worried that the church leaders aren't going to take any action. Well, she'll tell them, and then they'll listen or they'll pray about it. But she, she might even be discouraged and say, I don't think anything would happen if I told my pastor. And she might be right. So let's. Remember that when we're encouraging someone to report anger. Some of these church leaders are swayed, I already said, by his outward feeling, his uh, position at church, perhaps. Maybe he's a big donor. Real hard to remove those guys. But do you remember what it says in 1 Peter 3? One of our passages we love. It says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear 
anything that is frightening. Okay? You're honoring God by helping your brother. You're honoring God by approaching it in a humble, spiritual way and trying to restore, bring restoration to your family. The woman in this situation might just keep quiet because she's worried about the future. And there are two, there's a parent couple at this conference whose daughter was in one of these situations. And they told me tonight that she's gone and gotten more education. She's gotten a job. She's able to, she was able to leave this violent, at this violent household. And sure, she lived in poverty for a while. I mean, she lived with her parents. She had to just scrape by. But she's bettered herself. She's gotten an education. And sometimes when you take a woman out of this environment where she's screamed at and she's belittled and she's called names and you are no good and you can't do anything and no one would ever hire you and you're such an idiot and you're fat and nobody, no, you're too old to start over. She, once she gets out of that and you're starting to love on her and you're starting to show her God's love, she can, she can get her mind cleared up and say, yeah, I can do this. I can protect my children and myself and start, it, start over. And that's what she did, this girl. Um, she might be worried about her reputation. She might be worried about people at church talking about her marriage. She might be worried about her husband's reputation. We just heard a lot about shame. How difficult it is for a wife to come to church where all these happy families are sitting together and dads are helping with the children and dads are giving flowers to their wives on Valentine's Day. And here she is. It's very sad. And she may be telling herself, I'm not sure I want to be labeled as a divorced woman. I'm not sure I want to be known as a woman with a broken home. So she has natural feelings about that. She might be worried about the effect on her children. Now, we're talk we have already talked about children who've been living in this screaming, yelling household. But frankly, there are plenty of effects on a child growing up in a one-parent household. Or how about this, joint custody, where kids are bouncing back and forth, one perspective on life, another perspective on life. Or even worse, loving, nurturing household, belittling, screaming, angry household. That's court ordered, OK? She's, a, she's actually caring for her children so much that she's thinking all this through, and it can just be defeating and discouraging to where she thinks life is hopeless. She, she might also have plenty of guilt. I am to blame. He wouldn't be like this if I was prettier. He wouldn't be like this if I had sex with him all the time. He wouldn't be like this if I cooked better 
made better meals, or took better care of the house, or were nicer or sweeter. And she's living with this become. Maybe she's been told that. She may be having her own sin too, right? Frankly, that happens. But the guilt that she's carrying, a lot of it is misplaced guilt and false guilt. She also could be truly guilty of provoking her husband. And you've probably heard a story of like what Chris Moles told was like the fight could be rampaging, horrible fight, but oh, he's so sweet afterwards. Oh, he brings me flowers. He brings me gifts, jewelry. He promises wonderful things. So here, what? What do I do? And we have, like, frankly, there are women who provoke in order to get the, get the stuff. I don't know. It's real twisted, but it happens. So just to remind these ladies, okay, first we'll remind ourselves. We need to tell this woman truth. She needs to hear the truth about who she is. And she needs to hear that she is a helper to her husband. It's all right if she comes and gets help for their marriage. The example of Abigail, we're going to spend a couple minutes on her. She is, in her story is in 1 Samuel 25, a wise woman married to a fool. And we know he's a fool, Bible tells us, but don't you see that in what he did too? furious guy and here's David and he's actually becomes furious as well so here she is between two like really angry men she's one's threatening to come in and kill all the males in the household the other is bringing that danger because he's foolish and disregarding this threat to the family so she was wise she was very careful when she told her husband about the danger. She picked her time, didn't she? She went in when he was like sobered up and picked her time to reveal what, ha- what um, danger they were in. She went and she was humble before David and appeased his wrath with her gentle and quiet spirit. And the Lord intervened. And you know, Nabal died by the hand of God, pretty much. We can say that. Abigail married David, who respected her for her wisdom. As we wrap up, I just want to remind these ladies who are in this situation not to complain, not to grumble against one another, right? Not to hide sin, because God says... If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. We're not hiding sins. We are not lying. Okay? Lying. How's it going? Oh, it's fine. Wow, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that broken arm? I fell. What happened to your face? Oh, it's nothing. That's lying. Okay? But also, let's not use the husband's anger as a reason to escape the covenant of marriage. 
As we think about our Savior who was abused, was he not screamed at, misunderstood? He was accused of being of the devil. He was righteous. He understands what it is like to be in this situation. Hebrews 4, 14 is a comfort you give to this woman. And you tell her, we have a great high priest. In verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's where she needs to be called to hold fast to her confession, her faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence to the thr- near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I will close with Psalm 34, 21. We've been in Psalm 34 earlier. In 34, 21, it tells God's perspective, the eternal perspective. It says, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that we have a chance to look at this topic, and we thank you for the women here who care enough about other women to want to help those who live with an angry husband. We all have sin, and probably we've seen spectrums of anger in our own marriages. We pray to give us wisdom when to overlook a sin, when to cover up a sin, when to bring gentle confrontation, and when to call in leaders for our ch- from our church. Give protection to those children in these marriages, Lord, because a wife could be fearful, their children will turn out the same way, or they could be injured, spiritually damaged, Lord. But we give those children to you, Lord, and ask that you keep them physically safe, help them also to learn to trust you and for their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Copyright 2017, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.